this video. Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? So the focus of this series is to challenge us as a congregation, as individuals, to choose one person, a lost person, and develop a relationship with that person, and then get to a place where we can share the gospel. Now, when we look at our text for today, the sermon is called Follow Me, and we're going to first look at this historical background. So when we talk about following Christ, what we're talking about is discipleship. And a disciple is somebody who not only believes in Christ, but follows him. So a disciple is somebody who has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and follow him. That is the basic of the word disciple. It is somebody who has had an encounter, a personal salvation encounter with Christ, and then that person begins to follow. Now, when we think about being a disciple, let's look at the historical context for a minute in Matthew 4. So Hebrew boys started the Torah school at age five. So they would go into the, they would go into the Torah school where they would spend time learning the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And they would go through those books. So at the age of 10, five years later, five years later, those boys knew the Torah. That's quite amazing. We have way too much stuff today where the kids are on their iPads and uh, there's just not a real focus on this. But in the day, it took five years and those boys, could, they would learn the Torah. Now, by age 17, they would find a rabbi and ask to be a disciple. Now, that doesn't mean that the boys had to ask. Some of those boys, after they finished the school, they would go into the family business, maybe a carpenter, uh, what it, fisherman, whatever it was. They may choose not to do that. But some boys would ask a rabbi. And that rabbi would then be required to say yes or no to that boy. When they did that, if the rabbi said yes, you may come and be my disciple. They would sit at the feet of that rabbi and they would begin learning how to be a follower of that rabbi. Here's the thing about rabbis. 
Rabbis were picky. They only chose the best. So if you weren't the elite of the group, the rabbi would turn you down. You had to be high on the list. The rabbi would have to see something in that child, in that boy that says, he has what it takes. So if you were not as versed in the scripture and you couldn't articulate things well, the rabbi, even though you might have graduated and you knew the Torah, he would say, you absolutely cannot be my disciple. He would turn you down. Jesus comes along and he radicalizes this idea of a rabbi. And the point, the goal of all of this was to become like the rabbi. So when these boys would say, okay, I want to be, be like you, the rabbi would accept them and they would spend years learning what the rabbi knew so that one day they could then become a rabbi and get more disciples. Now Jesus comes along and Jesus says, I'm not going to choose the best. I'm not going to choose the best. I'm not going to choose the uh, elite, which turns the idea of Jewish discipleship on its head. Jesus didn't go into the seminaries and say, you, 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 and you. No. Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. And this is a radical idea that Jesus is putting out here because it just turns everything on its head. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, verse 18. <clears throat> While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, we love Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So the Sea of Galilee, beautiful. And, of course, in the day, in Jesus' day, would have been filled with boats. There would have been tons of activity going on. Uh, people, fishermen were out there throwing their nets into the sea. And so Jesus arrives. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew. They were fishermen. Not elite. Not elite. Just fishermen, ordinary people, people that the established rabbis would not touch. They wouldn't bother messing with them. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, sees two fishermen, brothers, and he'll call them. Now watch. Well, let's talk about Peter for a minute. <clears throat> I don't know, you choose which one, whichever one you think Peter is, but... Uh, Peter was the first to call Jesus the Son of God. He was also the first to deny Jesus three times. You remember that? And so Peter, he was, he was all in, but he would also make mistakes. That's not what a student of a rabbi would do. But again, Peter was just an ordinary person. And then there was Andrew. Andrew questioned Jesus in Mark 13, 3 
about his prophecy of the temple. And by the way, Andrew was the one that brought the boy to Jesus, and Jesus fed the 5,000. Andrew would also be crucified on a cross for his faith. So if you were going to build your, your kingdom, it would be in that day unheard of for a rabbi who was a teacher, Jesus was considered a rabbi, to build it on ordinary people. And yet that's what Jesus did. He didn't take the gifted. He didn't take the talented. He took those who were willing. And that's a real big question. Are you willing to be a follower of Christ? John MacArthur, I think one of the best preachers and alive right now, uh, John MacArthur said this, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary, it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. And yet, these 12 uneducated, except the Apostle Paul, who was very educated, these 12 ordinary men radically changed the world. Look at what we are benefactors of these 12 original disciples. Every born-again believer originates with this initial calling of people that a rabbi of the day would not have taken. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus is not looking for the best. He is looking for the willing. So the question for you and me today is, are you willing to become a disciple of Christ? You know, all of us in this room, and, and I want you to understand this, if you are a born-again believer, the goal of your life and the goal of my life is ultimately to become like Jesus. Granted, we will not get there. I realize that because we sin, we stumble, we struggle, we have problems, we fall down. Oh my goodness, many times. But what God is looking for, what Jesus is wanting, is a heart that is willing to do what he says to do. And ultimately, that's the heartbeat of what it means to be a disciple. I want you to realize this morning that you are very special in the kingdom of God. There are no misfits in the kingdom of God. And God wants to use you in your life, in your station of life. He wants to use you to further his kingdom. 
I think one of the greatest tools we have in witnessing is simply our lives. Where we say, look, I'm not perfect, but I do know Jesus loves me. And he loves you too. And be willing to share your story. It's okay. You can tell them. And I've told people the best way to share the gospel other than scripture is to say, this is what my life was before Christ. All of us have a story, right? Every one of us has a story. Our life before Christ, our life at the moment that we trusted in Christ, where all of our sins were forgiven, and then how our life is now with Christ. Those three elements, when you say, this is who I was before Christ, it wasn't pretty, that connects with the unsaved. And then you talk about the moment that you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you embraced him, what that felt like that day. Do you remember that day? October 12, 1981 was my day when the army chaplain led me to saving faith in Christ. I knew at that moment that my sins were forgiven. You have no idea what that does. And if you say that to somebody who is lost, they would say, does that mean any sin can be forgiven? Yes. There's only one sin that cannot be forgiven, and that is rejection of the Holy Spirit. All other sins, abortion, all these sins that people commit, that can be covered by the blood of Christ. He's not looking for the gifted. He's looking for the imperfect willing. And that should be all of us. We should all be willing to say, God, this is my life. You know I'm not perfect. But Lord, I am willing. I want to be like you. And I want you to help me to become like you. Years ago, I was sleeping. And I think this was Hawaii. That was a tough duty station, by the, by the way. Really tough. I re-enlisted. We had just gotten married, and I, my, I was friends with the re-enlistment NCO who was in my wedding. I said, Dave, can you get me Hawaii? And he goes, give me a day. So it was like a day later. Dave came to me, and he said, Mike, I got you Hawaii if you want to re-enlist for it. Signed up, we spent three years in Hawaii. I didn't realize at the time that those three years, some of that time would be spent in South Korea. Didn't realize that. But I think during those three years, I was sleeping and Audrey went down to the head, the foot of the bed. She placed her hands on my feet. I didn't know this till later. She prayed, Lord, Make him a man after your own heart. And he did. That's what it takes. Just to be willing. God's not looking for the prestigious people. He's not looking for those who are upper class and, 
He'll take those, yes. But that he's looking for you. He's looking for me. That's what he wants, just to be willing. And secondly, our primary calling is to be with him. Look at verse 19a. He said to them, to these two brothers, follow me. Follow is the Greek word for opizo. Opizo. And it means to come behind someone or to follow after someone. Opizo. Follow me. To come behind and to follow. Listen. This refers to Jesus spent three years with his disciples. During that time, he spent one-on-one time with them, instructing them about the kingdom of God. He spent time developing that relationship. So what that means is that when we follow Christ, we have to spend time with him. It's impossible to say, I want to be like Jesus, but never get to know him. It's like saying, Lord, I want to do whatever, but only on my terms. These disciples sat with Jesus. He taught them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And this tree will grow and the birds of the air will come. And the disciples are drinking this in. For if you do not deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. The disciples are listening to this. And they're letting it sink in. Because someday Jesus is going to go to the cross, die, be buried, and raised from the dead. Praise God, we celebrate that at Easter. He lives. And so these disciples for three years had an intense relationship with Christ. Our primary calling outside of just being willing to go and do what he says to do is to be with him. Many of you are married this morning. Some of you have good friends at school. I know not everybody's married, but you have friends. If you are married this morning, you spend time with your spouse and you develop that relationship. And it develops over the years. Maybe you have a good friend and you develop that relationship over the year. They don't become a friend until you develop a relationship. And yes, Jesus wants to be our friend, but he also is our Savior. And therefore, as a Savior, I want to spend time with him to get to know him and to understand what my mission is to the world. You have a mission to the world. Jesus loves you. And he wants that one-on-one relationship with you. So in order to do that, what, how are we going to develop this relationship? Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Simple, but very, very difficult. We got to get to the place where We respond to that. Spending time with Jesus 
means one of the primary ways of learning who Jesus is is right here. Is right here. This is where you go into Matthew and you read the Gospels. And by the way, Scripture says that there's everything that Jesus said couldn't be contained in a number of books. There's so much. But if you come through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you see what the Savior is like, and you simply say, Lord, help me to be like that. That's what I want to be. I think today, and I know each generation of pastors says it at one point or another, today more than ever, Right now, people need Jesus. My goodness, look at our culture. That which was unthinkable 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, is transforming right before our eyes. Satan has a grip on our culture. We are to influence the culture by the power and presence of Jesus Christ. But you just have to be willing. You have to develop that relationship with him. And then you go out into the world and one at a time you make a difference. And you free people from the bondage of darkness. That's what it is. I get mad too when I look at stuff that's happening on my goodness, stuff that I, when I was a kid growing up in the late, in the 60s and 70s, you didn't even talk about it. Now it's just on your screen. Brothers and sisters, it's time for the church to wake up and be the church. It's time for us to get back to the old-fashioned evangelism. Our primary call is to be with him, spending time in the word, Small groups, at the end of this sermon series, we're going to, I was kidding, Ruth, maybe we'll have fried chicken, I don't know, but maybe sandwiches or pizza from Monocles or something, but um, we'll get in those small groups, and as you go through your prayer journal, which is very simple, it takes just a, just, it's very, it's very small, and then you make notes on the side, it's very simple, and I'm glad they, they did that. Because most people aren't going to take four hours to do a Bible study. I I get that. Our culture is so revved up. People maybe even working two or three jobs. But if you can just read a a scripture, that's, that's day one. It's very, very simple. And then just write your responses. At the end of this five weeks, we're going to talk about this and how it, in, how it impacted you. I think it's very, very good. Small groups. That's how you become like Jesus. Getting in small groups and learning from other Christians. And then, of course, listening to a crazy Southern Baptist pastor yelling and screaming on Sunday morning. That's how you learn what Christ is like. Our primary calling is to be with him. Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. And also our primary call is to be 
with him. Let me encourage you to take time each day. Take time each day. And say, Lord, I want to be like you. Help me to become like you. And get to know him. Met so many wonderful Christians that that I've learned from. There was stuff in theology classes that are helping me prepare, but a lot of my growth came from just Christians who helped me along the way. I think of deacons and Sunday school teachers and uh, other pastors that have helped me develop and become who I am. Sometimes it's not pretty. <laughs> I, I get that. I, I'm not perfect at all. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you I'm not perfect. But I will say this about myself. I love Jesus. And I'm willing. And so God can do anything with a life if those are the two things you have, a love for Jesus and you're willing. Thirdly, to follow him, uh uh-oh, to follow him, we have to leave all. And I'm going to give a, a, I'll tell you what this doesn't mean. I actually had to change some of this part of the sermon series. I just had to, because anyway, verse, verse 20. So after Jesus calls them, he says, follow me. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately, eutheos. That means without hesitation. So here you have Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. Hey, follow me. Peter and Andrew, follow me. And instantaneously they dropped their nets. Immediately, without hesitation. They just looked at him. They saw Jesus. He said, follow me. And they dropped their nets. That's the image that we're given here. They left their nets. Afiami. The Greek word afiami. To leave behind. And I wrote this down two years ago. And I went back and I go, well, that was really good. I have to say that again. <laughs> it's hard to follow Jesus while you're holding on to something. It's hard to follow Jesus when you're holding on to something. Now, let me say this, because I think people freak out when they see this. I have to leave everything. And this is where I had to kind of tweak. I had a a youth a couple of churches ago say, well, pastor, if I trust Christ, will he make me a missionary in Africa? He was worried that Jesus, as soon as he trusted in Jesus Christ, oh my gosh, I'm on a boat for Africa. That's not what willing to follow him to leave all. It means that at this point, you drop your nets 
and you're willing to follow Christ in whatever he wants you to do. And yes, it could mean at some point down the road, as you spend time with him, you're willing, you spend time with him, that maybe he will call you to the mission field. But let me say this about the mission field. Go right outside these doors this morning, look in both directions, and that is a mission field. That doesn't mean you have to quit your day job and go to seminary. He may call you to do that, but that's not normally how it works. Normally, God will use you in your station of life at school for our young kids here this morning. He may use you to reach your fellow classmates. At work, you go to work and, and you have opportunities during the day to share the gospel. It doesn't mean that he's going to take you out of that, but you have to be willing to let go of that and do what he calls you to do so that you can make inroads for the kingdom of God. He's not going to put you on a boat and send you to Africa or... He may, rare, that's usually a different type of calling. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Akalutho, to accompany as a follower. Isn't that a beautiful image? That conveys the image of walking with Jesus. Isn't that what discipleship is? It's walking with Jesus daily. Follow just side by side. You are never alone. You're never alone. You walk day by day with Jesus. And going from there, look at verse 21. And going from there, he saw two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee. I've always liked that. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother in a boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. So here you have a scene where the father and the two sons are in the boat. They're mending their nets because they're fishermen. That's what they do for a living. And Jesus walks by and he sees them. He's getting ready to call them. And he called them. Kolo, the word called, kolo, which is the word in English, called to a task. Also, wait a minute. When Jesus calls his disciples, he calls them to a task. Everybody in this room that is a born-again believer, you have a task. One of the primary tasks is to be with him, to learn, to be like him, uh, to be willing to follow him. But we each have a task. We have a praise team that sang this morning, I preach for whatever reason God called me to preach. It wasn't my calling. I was in a 12-year military career, wanted to stay in the military, but God called me out of it. It was very clear, the death of a young man, a dream, and I was headed for Bible college. That was not my calling. I didn't do that. I loved the army. And I was on a career path. And God made it very clear to me. 
on Valentine's Day, 1989, that I needed to go into the ministry, and I left. Yeah, I still have conversations with God. Still do. Eight years. But you know what? In my case, God did require me to let go of my net. And then I was basically flying without a net. (laughs) But I trusted in him. Immediately they left the boat and their father. I want to look at verse 22. Verse 22, think about this. The boats were their careers. They knew nothing. They didn't know anything at this point. The second thing to note here, the father, their most significant relationship. They looked at their dad and said, Dad, we got to go. We have to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you hate, if you don't hate your father, your mother, you cannot be my disciple. What he meant by that was, I need to take priority over all relationships. And that again goes to the heartbeat of what it means to be a disciple. Every other relationship comes second. God comes first. Christ comes first. And so they left their most significant, and can you imagine the father watching his sons leave his business to follow this rabbi who just showed up and said, follow me. Think about that. And yet they did. To follow him, we have to leave everything. You can't hold on to the past and follow Christ at the same time. You have to to let go and just say, God, this is my life. Whatever you want, you use me. And I'm going to say, I don't like statistics, but I use them all the time. (laughs) I'd say 99% of the time, God's not going to call you to seminary. He's not going to call you to be a preacher. He's not going to call you. So put that to rest. But he will call you to live in the area where you're living now and to witness and to share the gospel and to be the church in a world that is churchless. And that's a tough call. Lastly, he commands us to spiritually reproduce. Let's go back up to verse 19b. I left it out intentionally until here. Now, if we go back and read that, he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. The word make is poyo. 
poyo. It has nine different meanings in the Greek language, this word make. I've narrowed it down to two possible meanings. One is to make or fashion something. But a second, which seems more logical in the context of the call, is that he will assign a task. I have seen this in 33 years of pastoral ministry. Every person has a task. Do you know some people are tasked with the gift of mercy? Some people are tasked with the gift of compassion. Some are tasked with the gift of help. And yet, miraculously, God uses those gifts to reach the lost. Do you know who Jesus got into trouble with in this world? He didn't get into trouble with sinners because Jesus went to the sinners. He got in trouble with the religious elite those who were so much better, higher up than these sinners. And yet Jesus goes to the sinners and he reaches out to them and loves them and cares for them. And so we have this great opportunity, brothers and sisters, to go out this morning after Sunday school, after Bible study. So please stick around for that. But when we go out this afternoon or tomorrow, you go out on the highways and byways of life represent Jesus. We're called to spiritually reproduce. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Me too. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Listen. I want you to realize, we don't do this. Christ does it through us. As we are willing. We do not have the power within ourselves to do anything because we are connected to the vine. And the vine, we are the branches. And as we draw our strength from Christ, we begin to produce fruit. That's how it works. We don't say, oh, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do stuff. Because usually what happens is you go out there to try to do stuff and you, you just say, okay, Lord, use me. Flow your life through me. That's the key. Flowing his life through you. I will make you fishers of men. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciple. A person who is willing, who spends time with Christ, who has put Christ first by leaving everything, will produce fruit. I guarantee it. 